0: welcome to Sotork's podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of March 2nd, 2015. Join us this week as we talk with realtor Jack Nindell, president for Friends of the Historic Lafayette, about that hotel in downtown Long Beach. We'll also visit with Brian Kaiser, Southern California's tile expert, as he recounts the rescue, restoration, and prominent exterior placement of the massive tile mural of an Egyptian desert scene which formerly graced the dance floor of the Lafayette's rooftop ballroom. So stay tuned.
1: You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long-lost neighborhood. Called Herb a between.
2: Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of March 2nd, 2015. This week, our two guests are Jack Nandel. He is a realtor, and he's president for the Friends of the Historic Lafayette. That is a gorgeous art deco gem of a now condominium, former hotel, first condo conversion on the West Coast, 1968. Uh, He's president of the of an association attached to the Homeowners Association, which concerns itself with preserving this beautiful structure. Our second guest needs no introduction to those of you that have listened, that are regular listeners. Brian Kaiser, but for those of you first-time listeners, I will indulge you. Brian Kaiser is the Southern California tile expert. He will be talking about a tile installation between the Lafayette and the Campbell, Campbell being a contiguous contemporary structure to the Lafayette. Um, we'll get into all of that, and it's appropriate. A uh installation reinstallation of a t- giant tile mural done by d Tile Ceramic Company from 1920 of a camel at the pyramids. At, I guess, Giza. A, a pyramid scene, anyway. So, this is a podcast episode about the Hotel Lafayette and and architectural accoutrements attached to it. So it's just, just Lafayette. It's a great building, and they're great guys. So, Kim, the Pishka Queen, please bring us up to speed.
0: Ah, I'm not a maven this week. All right, I'll be the queen. The Pishka, it's a digital tip jar associated with this podcast. You won't hear any ads on this podcast, but if you like what we do and you'd like to be a supporter, you are cordially encouraged to go to the podcast page and make a donation into the Pishka we're always so grateful for the support of our listeners. It's never obligatory. Always appreciated. And uh, odds are, if you contribute, it will make our adventures in Southern California a lot tastier. Because we're noschers.
2: Okay, Kim. Good. Thanks. So, um, good job. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we have a lot to get through, so let's start. Okay. Closely watched Trains is the next section that comes up. Um, this week... Uh, Kim, 527 South Broadway has become, uh, has, has gone on the market. This is a uh, 1931 Walker. And, okay, so this is an interesting building, 527 South Broadway. It's directly across the street from the Mercantile Arcade. 537.
0: Five
2: th- did I say 527? I'm so sorry. 537 South Broadway. Art Deco, zigzag, great relief, Ball relief zigzag plates. Mr. Helen last time I checked, still owned it. And Mr. Helen, of course, being the the poster child for uh, for historic preservation in downtown. Mr. Helen coming into town about twenty years ago, maybe a little more than twenty years ago, and wanting to bought all these historic buildings on Broadway and wanted to tear them down. And then and then after talking to to Donald Spivak and other individuals in the community redevelopment agency and the city planning office decided, "Oh my gosh, no! I'm going to save them," and has done a great job preserving them. So this building has been sold, I guess, several times at this point. And um, what's really interesting is that I didn't know it was a Walker and Ison building, and so I'm really happy. I wanted I want to thank Roger Vincent for sending me the, the LA Times clipping from thirty one announcing the construct the destruction of. The 1910 hotel on the site and the erection of the uh, Walker and Eisen six-story structure. Um, you know, when Nathan and I did that Walker and Eisen the Calculus of Aesthetics walking tour a couple years ago, you know, obviously it being a free tour, the the the, the, the bar for research was a, happily a little less. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, oh, oh, oh uh, but like the bar for research with you two it's ever left. Okay. It did slip so, through the cracks.
2: It, so it and 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 that's so. And I, I remember this came up. We we're just like, there's no list for Walker and Ice and Buildings anywhere. So well, the
0: tour was only 19 hours long. <laughs> it, was, it,
2: was, it, was, it was
0: one of those it, death tours. It,
2: it was a it was a five hour tour on a Sunday afternoon, and it was really hot. And um, <laughs> so. Uh, but we looked at a lot of Walker and I – so I'm really happy that – thank you, Roger Vincent, a business reporter for the L.A. Times. I guess he's real estate reporter for the L.A. Times, uh, to to dig into ProQuest and and get the citation. Um,
0: I think they have better search I, tools at the Times for their own ProQuest files. I don't – I think – They must.
2: I don't know. I, it just – I'm really happy. I know that both Nathan and I really tried – every possible combination of Walker and Ison in Proquest.
0: But did you check Walker and Eisner? Anyway, You've seen this building if you've walked down Broadway, especially if you've been standing in the entryway of the Mercantile Arcade, better known as the Spring Arcade, that gorgeous glass-topped arcade that connects Spring and Broadway. Because if you're over on the Broadway side and you look straight out, you'll see, at least you have in the last few years since it was cleaned under Mr. Helen's uh, oversight, this extraordinary red and bronze zigzag modern art deco facade. Uh, it's a very, very unusual Facade for that part of Broadway. It's it's a real well, very late.
2: Very, it's very it's,
0: re- it's late. It's jazzy. It's sexy and uh, super excited that it's changed hands and and the people who have it seem very excited about turning it into a, f- a functioning a fully used building, which is unusual in that part of Broadway.
2: So just just to wrap it up, so people don't think that I'm I'm a slouch. So. So this...
0: I don't think you're a slouch. Okay,
2: no one thinks I'm a slouch. Okay, so just because we're on the 537 South Broadway. Okay, so uh, Richmond's took over the building in 1950. Richmond's being a 19th century men's suit and port... start
0: with an H, like Hartfeld or
2: something? No, originally it was Hartfeld's. And then they they left, and Richmond's took over. And in 1950, they they did a remodel... And they took out a lease on the building. And for their 75th anniversary a couple years later, they did a big party for it. So the building's gotten a lot of love. And, and um, at some
0: point, someone covered it in beige paint, but that's gone. Right.
2: But but yeah, Rich Richmond, and Richmond Brothers, of course, wanted a business in the 70s. And I think their lease went ran out in the 60s. Yeah, You know, it's nah. the typical, bro- so suit emporiums, men's suit emporiums on Broadway, you know, faded out in the 60s and so it's your typical it's the typical broadway story uh ground floor filled with small retail spaces cut up i think this was um this is this building is a great example because it was one of the buildings that had um the entrance to the building Got it, and put in a retail shop. Put in so you, you, you so you could get to the rest of the building, but only from the the, the alley. The yeah, the, so the the proper building entrance was converted into a storefront because, of course, the upper floors were vacant. The, the upper five floors were vacant, and they were just getting income property off of the ground floors.
1: The most
0: gorgeous Art Deco pigeon coop you've ever seen.
2: Okay. Okay. super excited. Okay, very excited. Um, next one. Um, I just I I'm working on this one for the. Tour book, so it's kind of interesting. It's come up on um, the Joya Cafe, better known as the Thelma Todd Cafe, better known as Paulus Productions, as the wonderful Mediterranean gem on PCH at Castellamare. This is the uh, that bridge, the pedestrian bridge over PCH just south of Getty Drive, the original Getty. Um, it's been sold, Paulus uh, Productions. Paulus, produ- so the, the Catholic Church. Got the building because Roland West's wife, who's one of the Lane sisters, other than the singers, the Lane sisters. So Roland West owned the building. And, and, and of course, Thelma Todd.
0: Roland West, the son of a bitch who probably locked Thelma yes. Todd, that gorgeous comedic actress, in in a garage while she was drunk as a skunk. So she was gassed and killed.
2: Gassed by carbon monoxide. Exactly.
0: That guy.
2: Yeah, right. So So Roland West... Deathbed confession. You know, his dad, his widow has the property. She gives it to the Catholic
0: Church. Always a bad idea. They never keep this stuff.
2: The, look to the Oviatt if you want a great example of Catholic Church stewarding a building. Um,
0: look, look to <laughs> Mrs. Doheny's book collection if you want an example of what the Catholic Church will do when you give them something good.
2: So, so, so the Joya Cafe, formerly the Thelma Todd Cafe, originally um, just you know not wanting to um, show my hand too much, but. Um, the product, the the, the development company <laughs> that developed that hillside called the development Castellamare. They put in the pedestrian bridge. This is interesting because Alfonso Bell, the developed Bel Air, was involved in this, and he of course put a bridge in Bel Air. So they were kind of obsessed with bridges, and the whole idea was that you were going to have all these developments on that about for a mile, and every quarter of a mile you're going to have a pedestrian bridge and all the people that own the lots on the hillside they bought the, the the beach front property. Alfonso Bell owned the beach front property. This was actually originally part of Ince Land. Ince Land being the frontier western set Thomas Ince had before he moved to Culver City. Anyway, so the shtick was mean, Inceville. Inceville, Inceville. Inceville. Yeah. yeah. Before Thomas Ince was convinced in 1915 to move to Culver City. You'll Any. go on. So they'll find this So, so this 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 this, this beach strip was going to be communally owned by the people that own the property on the hillside. You had a pedestrian bridge. So the idea was, you had your private beach, and you just walk down over the bridge, and you're there.
0: Probably in your bathing suit, right? Yes. So good. and you that, don't get hit by a car.
2: Exactly. No matter
0: how drunk you are at four in the afternoon. Right.
2: They never built any more bridges, and you can go ahead and and buy the tour book to find out the rest of this. But it's really interesting. And and now
0: what happens in Malibu? All of the celebrities are drunk and having car crashes. Coincidence? (laughs) I think not.
2: So the Catholic Church has sold the building. I imagine Paulist Productions will stick around for a while. But we're really excited. It's a a beautiful structure. Um, We're going to go with Brian Kaiser to do a forensic um, analysis of the tile, of course. We're we're, going to wait for the, the people that bought it to call us back.
0: Well, we're going to hope for the best. It is not a historic cultural landmark. That doesn't mean someone listening out there in podcast land can't get to work on writing the landmark nomination. Oh, let me um,
2: I'm going to interrupt you, Kim. Um, you know, um, that neck of the woods has a pretty good track record for HCMs. Those of you, those, those listeners paying attention 10 years back will remember when um, the Marquez family put that last bit of land of theirs on... T- uh, chautauqua up for sale with the old gas station
0: and the cemetery in the back with
2: the cemetery in the back citizens rallied wrote an hcm for the gas station Mm -hmm. gas station got hcm'd so so there is in the last 10 years a strong precedence for local residents stepping up to the plate so
0: right but Something to bear in mind. I mean, this is a, a property that when it went on, on the market, we were a little anxious because it's an extraordinary, gorgeous site, but they have no parking. Um, t- traditionally, if you see the vintage photographs, you'll see the oldie timey right. cars <laughs> parked, parked in the a mile front. Away. Well, no, no, not parked a mile away. I mean, you parked um, directly in front of the little stores that used to be on the ground floor of the Thelma Todd Beach Cafe, and you could maybe fit eight cars in there, and those were old cars that were narrower. There's no parking, so uh, really, I'm hoping that the folks who bought this, who did uh, get it for two million dollars less than listing, and it only was listed in October, so it's a fire sale. Um, hopefully, the folks who are listening intend to maintain it and not uh, put in a large parking structure somewhere on the site. Okay,
2: they're they're not going to do that. Um, those of you just just sort of round it out. Um, this is a Raymond Chandler location uh, in Farewell, My Lovely. Raymond Chandler, uh, Philip Marlowe goes to visit Lindsay Lindsay Marriott, um, walks up 237 steps. Of course, these are steps put in by the development company that developed Castellamare when they put in that pedestrian bridge.
0: There
2: aren't that many steps anymore. In the 60s, there were a series of mudslides on that hill, and, and the upper stairways have been washed away, and the... To, uh, the topography, the, the the streets, so when Thelma Todd, Thelma Todd, was killed was killed, Thelma Todd died in a garage on Positano Road, which is one street above the back entrance to the Joya Cafe. But it's
0: much harder to it's, get
2: there now. It, a, a, since 1958, with the first of the mudslides, it's become impossible to walk that, but back in, in the 30s, it was... You know, it was it was it was a triviality. This was just what you did, and because there was never f- any parking. Philip Marlowe, when he goes to visit Lindsay Marriott, walks up two hundred thirty seven steps, and of course, the, that the upper the last hundred and twenty steps have been washed away. So, but it's still an important location, and you can see Thelma Todd's bedroom. There's if you go over the the pedestrian bridge, if you're walking towards the map, the hillside on your left, there's a gate that's locked as soon as you get off the bridge. And that first
0: Little apartment. apartment
2: you look into—that's that's where she lived. Yeah. And and that's and that and we're gonna we're gonna move on. But I just it's it's
0: an important structure. I I totally agree with
2: you. Okay, so um, Kim, just uh, this is a throwaway one. You're gonna handle it. SoCal, not a throwaway, but just a shout out. Mm-hmm. SoCal Connected did a nice um, piece on on bringing back Broadway.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's really a it was a video piece. Um, less than 10 minutes long, really nice about the the upward swing of retail along Broadway, all of the excitement down at the southern end regarding the the Ace Hotel and up, up at the Grand Central Market, and then kind of pulling back a little and saying, how is this impacting the existing businesses and specifically focusing on two retail tenants who've been in the cameo theater mm-hmm. um, for many, many years, uh, the, the electronics vendor in the central part of the theater who has the entire theater as basically his storage unit, and um, the woman who runs the jewelry shop, which is uh, just south of that storefront. And it's, it's actually kind of heartbreaking to watch, because, you know, these are families that have put enormous effort and energy into keeping Broadway alive, and have done, I think, a great job in, in having, you know, reliable, worthwhile businesses there. And yet they're kind of getting swept out with the trash because there's no place on Broadway for small family retail anymore. You're either, you know, developing some massive fancy I'm pants. Gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna interrupt oh, you. Okay, okay, okay so this is I just said so, massive fancy pants and I stopped. Where okay. am I going with this?
2: So what you're trying to say is is that um the buildings on Broadway are in such bad shape that that the only way they are developed is if property owners like Mister. Helen, at the drop of a hat, literally, without having to think about it, when they get a call from. So they need a tenant, they need a national retail tenant, because they're the, the property owners are invested in that. And they get a call, and they're like, "Oh, we need you to move the electrical connection to the city, to the the electrical connection to, to 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 the power department. We need you to move it." 10 feet in the basement.
0: Only it's only going to cost
2: $200,000 and Mr. Helen just says, Oh, that's fine. We'll do it because, because
0: they got a 25 year, really high retail lease. That's what it is. But it's, it doesn't and, mean, and any- God
2: bless Mr. Helen for just without thinking saying, yes, of course, can do we have 3 months to do that
0: or or you get the call it says we want to buy this entire building for significantly more than you paid for it and certainly than you've put into it and then they flip the buildings okay well
2: that, that doesn't happen that doesn't happen and, and we can't we we're, we're not going to get into broadway property and selling buildings because that's not the narrative but what the, what the narrative we're trying to get to is is these buildings are in such bad shape For for tenants to move in, they really need the property owners on board to do major infrastructure investment. And and they're just not interested because of all the buzz created by bringing back Broadway. They're just not interested in in, in small businesses just making do with the spaces. And that's what's killing me.
0: And it's killing me, too, because nobody knows if... This bringing back Broadway buzz is really going to result in anything. The Ace is having some major legal problems. They may or, and the building's for sale. They may or may not still be there in a few years. They may or not still be there next year. Um, you know, when this bring, bringing back Broadway, SoCal Connected piece aired, I, um, I linked it around on Facebook, and, and there was a conversation on a thread, and, and people were saying, "Well, is it really the best use of this historic theater for there to be an electronics vendor and a jewelry store?" And my response was, well, yeah, (sighs) if the alternative is maybe it being vacant and subject to further neglect by not being, you know, the lights aren't on, no one's inside, no one notices if there are leaks, no one notices if someone's moved in. I said I'd, I'd rather keep the retailers than take a potential goat behind door number three because nobody's bringing these theaters back. The only way a theater is gonna come back on Broadway as a theater is if a nonprofit is fully funded and invested in bringing it back. It's enormously expensive. And these theaters that are brought back in historic districts always operate at a loss. They have to be nonprofits. People don't go to the theater to see movies or to see live theater anymore like they once did. It it just becomes basically a cultural asset that's created as a charitable entity. And I don't see anyone stepping up to do that.
2: So we we need to leave Broadway because it's it's very it's very complicated and the relationship of property owners to leasing agents to potential tenants and existing tenants is incredibly complicated and bittersweet and the saga has only begun and on that topic I will add as a note why don't people have podcasts about what's happening downtown Kim the reason people don't have podcasts about what's happening downtown. I mean, we talk about it, but we're not really plugged in. We're we're just we get these scraps of information that we get from from the locker room conversation I pick up on Los Angeles Athletic Club, or from Marco Ramirez, or from people we've we've come to know and recognize on the street and, and tackle and and, and and sit on them and make them tell us these three things before we they oh, run away. Oh, I know
0: away. what you're gonna say. <laughs> You to say nobody actually talks about what's going on because it's all really secretive, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, it's it
2: is. It's, it, it is. So the, the whole notion that that Jan Perry is going to get on a podcast run by a real estate agent, or a leasing agent, and talk about what's really happening—like this stuff isn't going to. No one's going to talk about it because it's all behind the scenes. Really, really, nothing anyone wants out there, and it just no one will do it because it's it's political suicide. So that's that's really the tragedy of Broadway, and I'm sorry to t- make another digression, but really, when when we talk about Broadway, and I get frustrated, I get frustrated because because all the, there's a lot happening, and no one will talk about it, and that's okay. There's nothing I can do about it. It's just it's, it's there's a lot happening, and just because no one's talking
0: doesn't mean anything's happening. And contrary to popular mythology there is not a multi-billion dollar wave of investment coming down broadway there are little pockets that are getting picked up there are some buildings that are getting a lot of attention and thank god but at the same time you have something like figaro um de figaro in the old shabers cafeteria which yeah i mean everybody says they you know they didn't too small Everyone says, yeah, they didn't really have it together as a restaurant. There were some ways in which, you know, the service was very French. But the fact of the matter is they made beautiful pastry. It was a lovely room. They let people use the upstairs for gatherings. The the bar was perfectly nice. It was a nice place, and it died. It died right there in the middle of the supposed hot, hot zone. And I think it's making everyone think twice. And I, I think it will be a, a damn shame to throw tenants that have been there for 40 years, have customers who come back. You know, w- when people come back looking for the woman who had the jewelry shop in the cameo and she's not there anymore, how are they going to find her?
2: Okay, we're moving on, Kim. It's just, I know there's nothing to do. Okay, we're just witnesses. Okay, this has happened again. It, this has happened before it will happen again for many incarnations of the world. It's just the path. That we're always on, and that's good. Don't want to be anywhere else. So, Kim, we need to wrap this up, and and this is a, this is, we need to wrap this up with our last closely watched train, which is the newly launched website attached to the Office of Historical Resources for the City of Los Angeles Survey LA.
0: Okay, I can take this on. Um, Survey LA has been a decade in the development. Um, We've done a podcast interview with Kim Whalen from the Getty Conservation Institute about this project, which is based on the open-source Arches platform. And the idea is to be able to annotate a map and fill out a map with all sorts of details about historic buildings, not just officially recognized landmarks, but um, overlays for the HPOZ, the Historic Preservation Overlay Zones, uh, buildings that are are landmarked, buildings that are considered contributors to these HPOZs, buildings that are eligible for various landmark status, with the notion that all of the buildings within the city of Los Angeles, not not, um, unincorporated East L.A. or anything like that, just within the city of L.A., will eventually be entered into this database and can be searched, uh, for instance, if you want to find every Egyptian revival building in L.A., Eventually, you'll be able to do that and make your own Egyptian revival driving trip. Super important. Um, I was really surprised, as you were too, Richard, to see it, it launch. Oh, I,
2: I haven't even begun to talk about my complete frustration with the site okay. and lack of vision.
0: Okay, well, it launched very, very quickly, um, or very suddenly. Uh, <laughs> Ten years in the making. Right, last week. And um, it's not complete. By any stretch, it admits it isn't. Uh, The the hope is that by 2016, it will have all the data. I'm a little skeptical of that because it's such an enormous amount of information. And, you know, I did just, you and I did. We drilled in and we looked for some buildings that we feel very passionately about. And also we looked at some blocks that we're very interested in. And, for instance, um, Charles Bukowski's bungalow. On de Long Pre in East Hollywood is of course listed it 's very easy to get those HCMs onto a map because the data but they 're not all listed they 're not all listed um, but I was you know that 's a building that is protected and yet across the street, this beautiful bungalow court apartment complex, which recently had a lot of work done happily by um, you know, contractors who were sensitive to the history of the space uh, that wasn 't listed also down on Broadway in that 600 South Block, which is just nothing but historic buildings. There's only two buildings listed on the block, Clifton's Cafeteria not listed on the block that it appears on, Bullock's not listed. Um, The only things that are listed are the two theaters, the Los Angeles and the Palace. So, you know, just kind of frustrated. I understand um, it's not a complete tool to be used to say these are all the historic and important buildings in the city. But um developers are going to be looking at this map and saying, Okay, this is this is a free ride for us on this block because there's nothing here. Yeah. Okay, so
2: Go. I'm gonna interrupt you, Kim. Okay. So remind me of Sequa in thirty seconds.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: Okay, it's 2015, okay? The Department of Building and Safety and the Office of Historic Resources needs to wake up and get to work. I don't care if I'm hurting anyone's feelings. I'm not, I'm not kidding. This it's is, not about people, it, it's it, about... Th- 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 this, is, this is about machine-readable documents. I am talking about the Department of Building and Safety issuing machine-readable documents for demolition permits. I'm talking about the Department of Building and Safety making documentation coming out of their office machine-readable so people can aggregate it. I am talking about the fact that Arches is a 10-year-old platform. The semantic web was invented 10 years ago. This Arches has the promise of being a semantic web application, and it's not, because the city of Los Angeles doesn't have the wherewithal to program, create, and maintain a semantic web structure, which means it has, inherent to it, a trust metric, whereby input from Crowdsourcing can be trusted, vetted, and put on the put into the site. So you There's mean machi- ev-
0: every location I was finding that wasn't on there, I could have just added, as long as I was there looking for it?
2: it. And under a proper semantic web application platform, yes, with a trust metric implemented, yes, you could. There is no machine readability. There is the Department of Office of Historic Resources came into being in two thousand five. And they've had about 10 years to get everything, currently uh, uh, current assets, into machine-readable format. And they've done nothing about that. Because they're understaffed. And I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. Because they're tearing down buildings. And it's, it, you know, people are like, oh, you should be mad at Tom Maine, Oh, you should be mad at so-and-so for time. No, I'm mad at the city of Los Angeles. Because it's 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 ridiculous. They have have a job to do, and and they're not doing it. It's 2015. There's a lot you can do, and they need to start to do it. And I'm tired of hearing they're understaffed, because there aren't going to be any historic buildings left in 20 years.
0: And when you say Tom Main, you're saying that because Tom Main, the architect, just bought Ray Bradbury's house, which, despite his incredibly disingenuous statements to the press until he was called on it, was marketed as Ray Bradbury's house and knocked it down a week in advance of the new ordinance, which would have required the neighbors to be notified. And... It wouldn't have mattered if he had looked at Survey LA online or not. And I wonder if that's why they put it online. God, so, do you think so, it's the Tom Main thing and yeah, the Bradbury house? Of course, house? of course
2: it is. So oh. the problem, and, well, and, and let me the, the, the,
0: But Bradbury's house wasn't on Survey LA because Cheviot Hills, a historic neighborhood, doesn't have an HBOZ and has like six locations on
2: it. Ridiculous. So the problem, and, and, and beyond the fact that the city of Los Angeles is not prepared to program, develop, and maintain a proper portal for historic preservation as a semantic web application. They're they're not prepared to do that, which is tragic, and I'm sorry the Getty can't help them. Um, The the other problem is that by resources not being included in SurveyLA and SurveyLA being public, you now have the biggest problem, which is... Sequa, protection under Sequa. And we can't, even, CQA, we can't even, we can't even begin to explain what Sequa is. But it's intrinsically connected to draft environmental impact reports, environmental impact reports. These are for buildings that are not explicitly HCMs or under HPOZ protection. You know, there's an overseen agency that says, well, you have to do a draft environmental impact report about historic, about a bunch of things, one of which is historic significance. And they always lie. You 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 the, the developer hires someone to write an a, an environmental impact report, and the historic significance section is nothing because they just don't. Oh, that ca- dog and
0: cat hospital isn't by anyone important. We're the city of West Hollywood. We know.
2: Right. So so it's it's upsetting because because survey la is giving credence to historical assets in the neighborhoods, and and people are going to be writing shitty environmental impact reports. <gasps> just I just cursed. I don't care.
0: No, No, you're right. And, And the other thing is, and this is the thing that drives me so crazy, is if you spend any time on Facebook you'll find that there are multiple extremely passionate, active Los Angeles history and architecture pages that are run by various well-meaning people and pictures go up of historic buildings and 40 people have something to say. And all this data and information... is Because
2: it's not the semantic web. Because Facebook, which came out of the semantic web, the the Web 2.0, this explosion, which occurred about 2004 when we first started digging, Kim. Facebook explicitly made themselves a walled garden and kept everything inside. And this I, I I've deeply frustrated that people use Facebook because it's no way to share information. And that, it's that,
0: that, they're not there to share infor- – well, they're, well share it, they're sharing information in the only way they can right. because no one has invested in making a, an open source, non-walled garden space where this kind of communication and data sharing and conversation can happen. And if the city is really serious about Survey LA being something that's going to be used – and it's going to be meaningful and is going to help save buildings and help raise consciousness. they have to hire some programmers, God, with all the money the city has, or you know start one of those damn nonprofits don't start a non nonprofit
2: Kim. okay we're done
0: make done make we're survey l a social make it fun, let people contribute, have some training sessions, and when people finish the training session, give them a password and let okay, them contribute. Kim, that's
2: not. What a trust metric is. I know it's God, not a trust metric, okay. but it's Kim. It's it's a trust metric or it's nothing at all, okay. and I, we're not here to talk about trust metrics. Okay, we we we've died we've died that death in so many offices in Beverly Hills back in the aughts. Okay, and that's good, and in 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 offices of the Los Angeles Times in the aughts. And
0: the internet we're, d- still uh, we're done. Sucks. Okay, the internet doesn't
2: suck, and thank God net neutrality passed. Okay. Done. Done with everything. No, you
0: forgot one thing.
2: No, we I'm doing, didn't. I'm doing, no, I'm we're doing, not. Doing, no. Tim, give,
0: give me the mic. The Clark Library, which is part of UCLA and the Portuguese Department in West Adams, which we love.
2: No,
0: okay. The, Stop it. I'm talking.
2: Clark is supervised by the by by the Department of 17th Century Studies and Portuguese. Okay, it's a very odd thing. It came in before you UCLA no you really became UCLA as we know it. It was still an extension of Cal.
0: Thank you. Anyway, this beautiful, amazing library in West Adams, is shutting down in April. So get over there if you want to see it, because it's a pretty serious one-year shutdown. There's some earthquake retrofitting. There's some basement storage being put in, but they're also building a new entrance pavilion, which sort of terrifies me, because it's one of the most beautifully yeah, situated really buildings. Yeah, so let, let's go and like put our hands on that facade well, a few times before.
2: We, we've been, in, I've been back and forth with Victoria Steel. We're, we're going... In a couple of weeks to see her. Okay. I, I I didn't realize they were closing closing, but I already haven't. We already have agreed via email that that will be out in okay, in March. Good, good, good. Okay. Can we have to move on?
0: I tried to, Richard. I okay.
2: March fifteenth, Sunday, March fifteenth. We have a, a forensic science seminar, and can please give us a minute? On, <laughs> excuse me, Give us a minute on this.
0: <laughs> while you while you cough your your poor little lungs out, darling. Yes. Uh, I'm not coughing myself. You have to stop smoking. Quarterly, we, uh, Richard and I, under the guise of lava, host these uh, forensic science seminars with Dr. Professor <laughs> Donald Johnson.
2: Professor Donald Johnson. Yeah. He's a mortician and investigator. He has a master's in biology um, Former forensic investigator for the LASD. He's not I, doctor. It's okay. I, I, we don't I just mean, stumbled. I know it's. I
0: stumbled. Anyway, um, we do these at Cal State Los Angeles as part of the fundraising efforts for the criminalistics department. He trains the graduate level criminalists and they develop all sorts of new forensic science tools that are going to end up in the courtroom. So if you're a writer and you're writing, um, you know, police procedurals with forensic science scenes. You definitely want to come down and hear what the cutting-edge science is going to be. By the time your next book comes out, you might blow some minds. You can also hear from working forensic investigators and also uh, true crime writers and researchers. We bring the best people in. And Hot Lead and Hot Leads is a two-lecturer program on two subjects, ballistics and how You Investigate a Murder Behind Bars in the County Jail System. We would love to see you there. It's only thirty six fifty for the afternoon, and that buys a lot of DNA kits, kids. kids yep. So buy your ticket today. It's
2: it's a lot of fun. Okay, I'm going to quickly get us out of upcoming events and into the interviews. Okay, coming up, end of March, March 29, Nathan Marsack, Lava Visionary of the Year 2015, is giving his Lava Visionary of the Year talk, what I hope will be first of at least one more talk um, for the year. Uh, Nathan will be giving a talk on the rise of Richardsonian Romanesque in Los Angeles as a major architectural trend, which of course eventually gives way to the mission style, which is of course what Los Angeles adopts as its style. And that journey is deeply fascinating, rich and interesting, and lots of, tribu- uh, lots of rich veins that seem quite tangential and then magically appear to take you to the mother motherlode. Sign up. Sign ups are going fast. Uh, we're back at library. We're not back. We are at library bar now for the Lava Sunday Salon. It is the last Sunday of every month. Library bar is sixth and hope.
0: And, and we're there because Figaro closed on Broadway. No, well, okay. Yes.
2: We're there because Johnny Valenti is a great guy. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: Okay. Johnny Valenti is a great guy, and that's why we're at library bar. God bless him. We are back at Library Bar indefinitely giving these salons. So, March is this month is Nathan, Richardsonian Romanesque in Los Angeles in 19th century. April, Joan Job Smith. Joan Job Smith is a colleague of Charles Bukowski's. Joan Job Smith is going to be talking about her memoir, uh, t- Tales of an Ancient Go Go Girl. Girl. It's her memoir. It is about um, all the pain and shit of her life in the 60s that, got, that she somehow survived and got herself into a, a Masters of Fine Arts writing program at Cal State Long Beach, became very close with Charles Bukowski, who, who obviously, absolutely, inex- in- inextricably fell in love with her, and just worshipped the ground she walked on, and worked with her a great deal, and then through all of that. So, um, she's great. Come to that. These are all on the website. We have to start moving. Kim, do you have anything else to say?
0: Yeah, these salons are um limited to a hundred people and they are filling up ahead of time. So if this is the kind of thing you want to be part of, schedule your last Sundays of the month in advance or you won't be able to get in. And we would love to have you be part of these if that's uh the kind of thing you'd like to be part of.
2: Right. It's it's two to four and and they're not like salons of the past where we've had a lot of, of A V. These are these are really more conversations conversations. is gonna read a poem, she's gonna talk about her memoir. We're gonna take a break. Someone's gonna buy her a drink. People are gonna to talk to each other. We're gonna get back in, read a poem, uh, talk about another, like talk about go-go dancing through the Watts riots. But really, we're we're trying to break things up, and because I—that's what I—because I, that's what I want. Okay? this is what I want, and this is this is my response to this. The salons going where they were,
0: and because we've left Broadway, we're so worried about Broadway. We felt compelled after almost every salon to race out into the street and lead these walking tours, um, exploring some of the changes that are happening on the street and pointing out these incredible historic resources. We're not on Broadway anymore. And so the salon ends, and we're staying put. And we hope that people will stay put Mm -hmm. and enjoy the lovely environment of the library bar and get to know fellow lava attendees and, you know, enjoy some of those French fries. They're awfully good.
2: Yeah, they are. Um, Okay. Interviews. You've got to get Get to them. Okay. Okay, we're interviewing Jack and Brian. Okay, uh, Brian's last, so I'll introduce him first. Brian Kaiser. Um, Brian Kaiser, a uh, Southern California tile expert, uh, lives in Rufus Keeler's home in Southgate. This was the showcase for Calco. Uh, Rufus Keeler was, when Calco, his own pottery, went bankrupt in the, the mid-1920s, he was hired by the Adamson family to run Malibu Tile. Um, which is where he's probably best known. Though I think his work, his best work, is with Calco. Um, Rufus Keeler is incredibly important through all of Southern California's development. Um, his connection to Bertrand Goodhue and the 1915 Panama exhibition and Goodhue's work. What in San
0: Diego in
2: San Diego Balboa Park. His work with Goodhue, Bertrand Goodhue's work at that exhibit, and then Goodhue coming back Caltech. LAPL Central, is huge. Okay, Brian's a genius. There's a billion things you don't know about Tile that he does, and we get just a snippet. We get these little snapshots whenever we put the mic in front of him at an amazing Tile station. So that's what we're gonna do with him at the Camel, which is between the Campbell and the Lafayette. And so Jack, and Jack of course was integral. He gets an integral to, the, to both these interviews. The Camel wouldn't have happened without Jack's work, uh, Brian. Of so, that's Brian. Second interview. Camel. Great. First interview. Jack. Jack is president of the Friends of the Historic Lafayette. This is a non um, a nonprofit associated with the Homeowners Association. It's, it's con- uh, Jack will get into all of that. Jack is a great guy. He's also a realtor. He's been a realtor in Long Beach since 80, in the early 80s. His office is in the Lafayette.
0: If you want an apartment in the Lafayette, he's an awfully good person to give you a tour.
2: The Lafayette's really damn beautiful, Kim. Um, It's like...
0: I'm obsessed with that little sunroom at the top. I'm like, I want to move into the Lafayette and start doing yoga in the sunroom, and I don't even do yoga.
2: Yeah, okay. So so Jack is great. So we'll start with Jack, and Jack's just going to take us by the hand and go through... Um, the history of, of the Lafayette and, and, and the Campbell, which is next door, which is, their buildings are about a year apart. And just the whole process, condo conversion, uh, it a Hilton, Hilton sold it, condo conversion. Then his role in helping get the the camel tile out. He's a great guy. Okay, so this is, let's, uh, we'll move into our interview with Jack right now, and we'll begin this episode, which is entirely devoted to things in, around, and about the Hotel Lafayette in Long Beach, the Art Deco gem. Jack, Jack, I'm here with you. We're in in front of a beautiful fireplace at the Lafayette in Long Beach, California, and and I'm going to ask you to properly introduce yourself and uh, what 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 it is you've
3: done here, which is a lot. Uh, I am president of the Friends oh, of. The- yeah, say your full name. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm Jack Nandell, and I'm president of the uh, Friends of the Lafayette, a historical group that was established back around 2004. And I also uh, maintain uh, my real estate office here in the Lafayette in one of the office condos. Perfect. And so before we jump in, because we have a great question to start with, before we jump in, because this is a
2: podcast, only audio – People don't understand that we're standing inside of an Art Deco jewel. So just before we get started, explain to them what the Lafayette is and and what it looks like and why my job I'm just keep picking my
3: job off the floor. Okay. The Lafayette is a historical building that consists of three buildings. The first building called the Campbell Apartments was built in nineteen twenty eight for the wealthy of Southern California. In 1929, the Lafayette Hotel opened up the same week as the stock market crash. And in 1948, the Lafayette, Ho- the Bro- Lafayette Hotel built in an expansion of the building, and of the hotel called the uh, Broadway Building. In 1952, Uh, Hilton bought all three buildings and ran it as a Hilton Hotel from 1952 until 1967, sold it to private investors, and this became the first condo conversion on the West Coast in 1967. The Lafayette Hotel, the main building at 140 Linden Avenue in Long Beach, uh, is in the style of art deco. It's just a beautiful jewel. People who are well versed in Art Deco says is probably the best example of Art Deco in the city of Long Beach. It's just a fabulous building. The uh, Campbell Building, which preceded by a year, is a Mediterranean Renaissance type style and completely different. And the Broadway Building, built in 1948, was modeled after in, the International style, which was very popular in Europe at that point in time. Right. Perfect. Okay. Good. Thank you. You set that up. The people are. We have people's complete attention. Have you always been interested in historical buildings, Jack? I probably always appreciated historical buildings, but I never realized what it took to maintain them. I can recall that on my first trip to Europe, and particularly London, uh, I was in a a pub, and you you see a plaque on the wall saying, gee, this building was built 300 years ago. Isn't that cool? (laughs) And, and I've always admired and respected the older buildings, but I never realized what it took to uh, maintain them. It wasn't until I had a business trip in the late 70s to uh, Algeria. I'd spent two weeks on a business trip to Hassi R'mel, about 325 miles south of Algiers. And on the return uh, trip, I stopped in Rome for the weekend. And as all visitors, you go to the Colosseum and the Forum, and you can appreciate the efforts they made uh, to maintain their historical uh, structures and I could only help and think at that point in time Jackie Kennedy Onassis was co chairperson of a committee to save the Grand Central Station in New York and as when I really appreciate it it's not easy to maintain historical buildings people want to always tear them down and put up something new and modern Perfect. Okay. So you've you've you, you 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 picked up you you picked up the banner early. So good. So you've been in Long Beach since the mid 1980s? I moved to Long Beach in, in 1988. Okay. Perfect. And so so th- this is such a great building. Um there has
2: been outreach to the community in terms of of getting the word out about what a beautiful place this, this is. Do you want to talk about the, the walks through history? And maybe that will be a good way to just, in general, you, you've worked with the Art Deco Society. I mean, this, is, this, this building
3: is a showcase, and it, it is open to the public. So I, I want people to know that. That's correct. And this building often is included on the uh, monthly tours that the uh, Long Beach uh, Heritage or Group uh, take is is one of their uh, primary uh, focal points. W- back in 2006, we uh, initiated a walk through time where we open up about 14 to 16 of the homes to the public because uh, the owners of uh, the. Th- of units within these three buildings have done some remarkable things uh, with, the building, with the units themselves, and we were assisted by the Art Deco Society, who dressed in uh, period clothing, uh, had cars from the period, and we had a walking tour of the three buildings, and we did it in 2006, 2007. Hopefully, we'll do it again sometime in the future to open up this great complex to many people who otherwise may not see it. Perfect, and so – so thoughts have wings. So let's 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 hope this
2: this goes forward. Um, I know it's not open to the public, but something for people to look forward to when at some point in the future, when, when this is open, you have a museum, which we have you have a collection of of some arcana. Do you just quickly want to talk about
3: that because it is it is really nice? When we started to uh, prepare for the walk through time, we realized we had collected many items from uh, the years uh, that were representative of the the Lafayette when it was a hotel and uh, the Campbell Apartments, and uh, we took the opportunity to create a separate museum of these items. Uh, We still have to find an effective way to make it available to the public, but it's a collection of uh, portraits, uh, stonework, uh, photographs, uh, postcards from the hotel, all types of different things.
2: Perfect. So, just
3: so you've you've given us a good
2: sense of of what these three buildings are these these great two of them pre war gems, Art Art Deco gems. Um, do you want to give us? A, I don't know if everyone knows what a great corner, what a great couple blocks for historic, beautiful historic buildings it is down here on Linden. Do you just want to take a second and let people know that
3: if they like old buildings, this you, you should probably get on down here and grab a cup of coffee and and take over a stroll. Uh, across the street from us on on Linden Avenue is an uh, an apartment building, Broadland, which is just a beautiful uh, structure. And diagonally across from that, on the corner, is uh, a a building which uh, is used as temporary housing, for lack of a better word. But it, is, it too is a gem. And we are located in the East Arts District, so there's uh, quite a bit of activity in the area. Uh, is bustling with. Uh, Uh, Different types of shops uh, on the retail side, and it's just a a great, lively place. and, And it's within walking distance of everything in Long Beach that's important. Perfect.
2: Before we wrap this up, we cannot forget the tile mural, which you played a very big part in preserving, So why don't you describe to us this beautiful, uh, de- uh, go, hearkening back to,
3: to North Africa, <laughs> your own experience, this beautiful North African scene. Well, we uh, back in the spring of, of 2008, we had a, a water encroachment problem in the original building, the Campbell Building, and when the workmen started to remove the air, uh, the roof material, under about 12 inches of, of tar, asphalt, sand, dirt, you name it, uh, they found this this mural, which was pretty dirty, but seemed to be in reasonably good shape. It was an 8-foot-by-8-foot uh, mural depicting uh, a camel uh, lying in front of some pyramids, and it was signed by the artist, Mr. Torres, who was the chief ceramic uh, head of D&M Tile, and Based on the research that was done, it appears this may be the only particular mural that he actually signed. He was active throughout the community. The company was around from about 1926 to about 1937, 1938, and it was just a a beautiful uh, piece of work. The uh, workmen were uh, kind enough to bring it to our attention, and we knew we had a a gem on our hands. Uh, The Friends of the Lafayette applied for a grant from the uh, Long Beach Navy Heritage Foundation, up, up close to $15,000, to uh, restore the, the tile. Um, when the Navy left Long Beach in the early 1990s, they set up a foundation for nonprofits. So it gave us a great opportunity to provide the funds to restore the mural. And uh, we went through a, a bunch of... Uh, Uh, hurdles to to get the approval of the city to mount to where it is on the outside of the building. And it just looks fantastic. Perfect. And you you wrote you wrote that grant, I believe. Yes, it was my only grant. And it's (laughs) one of those things. I'll never do it again. You know, if you do it once and it's good, go for it. All right, Jack. Thank you. So let's let's wrap this up. This is I I think you've whet people's
2: appetite, and now um, I think you mentioned you you do represent properties in this building. You are a
3: real estate agent. So let's just. Let's hear it. Let's, let's hear your peer pitch. Okay. The, uh, this complex in the three buildings consists of 159 residential units and 12 office condos, and I was fortunate enough when I got into real estate 11 years ago to buy uh, an office condo on the second floor of the Broadway building, and uh, that's where I run my uh, real estate practice out of. So if anybody is interested in real estate either in this building or historical buildings in downtown or anywhere in the city, just let me know. Jack, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. My name is Eric Lopez. I'm a city planner for the City of Los Angeles Department of City Planning. I'm here in City
2: Hall, and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine.
1: Brian,
2: Brian, Kaiser, I'm here with you. We're uh, we're actually... Bob's big boy in, in Downey, and and in spite of that, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself properly and get us started on the topic at hand, which is the camel mural in Long Beach.
4: Okay. Hi there. Uh, my name is Brian Kaiser. Uh, I always introduce myself by saying that I'm the uh, owner of the home of Rufus Keeler, who was the manager of the Malibu Potteries, and after 30 years, that uh, prompted me to go into a life of tile, I guess is what you would Call it, and uh, Richard has asked me to talk about a wonderful, wonderful custom mural—an eight-foot by eight-foot mural of a camel before the pyramids in the city of uh, Long Beach. So, do you want me to just yeah just, just start yeah, the just yeah. do the story? Okay. Uh, some years years ago, I, I was telling Richard, I'm not going to give years because I just can't remember, but not quite yesterday, but uh, some years ago, <laughs> I get a call from a friend in Long Beach who says. Uh, That there's a small periodical newspaper, like a weekly throwaway or something, with a color picture of a wonderful mural, this amazing mural that was quote-unquote uncovered from a building or under this or under that, I couldn't quite understand, but it was at the uh, Campbell, actually at the Campbell building, which is part of a complex called the Lafayette Complex. Uh, three old hotels, the Campbell, the Lafayette. Lafayette is one of the most magnificent Art Deco yeah. structures you'll ever see in L.A. County. And then a third one, we don't care because it's from the yeah. 50s at, at any rate. But, uh, but anyhow, uh, it's an historic complex, and this was the Campbell building. And uh, I make some phone calls and get over there for a little little visit. And incredibly enough, and this really is one of these great urban archaeology, really, really a great urban archaeology uh, story. The Campbell Building had a leak from the top floor down to the whatever the the, the, where the penthouse was or wherever, and uh, so obviously uh, there was trouble there. They had to get a new roof, so they went to get a permit from the city, and the city came out and said uh, that I think that was twenty six or seven. Don't quote me. That the Campbell Building was constructed, and they said we don't have any record of anybody getting a permit to go right back down to the substructure and come back up, you know, with a new, quote-unquote, new roof. So we think there's been roof after roof after roof after roof after roof laid on top of each other since 26. We cannot find any record of anything else. So they did a core sample, and sure enough, there there were like 10 million (laughs) layers of roof that they pulled up from the core sample. Uh, in, in, so, in fact, all they had done is just put one on top of the other. I can't remember the estimate. Jack might remember the estimate. It was something like, I, 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 you know, I don't know, 10 tons, 12 tons, whatever. Tons and tons and tons of material is now on the top of this building. And most roofing, uh, roll roofing and things like that, is actually a fuel source in case there's a fire. Once it gets going, yeah. it's, a, it's a petroleum distillate product. Wow, you know, it's going to explode. So the city was... Very very concerned, and they said, "Well, of course you can have a new roof, but man, you got to go right back to the original substructure, and, and, and we're going to and, make and, sure that you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you must. You just, you know, for safety's sake, for everything else, it's time. You know, this is time. You got to do it. So uh, uh, that's, the, and we'll give you the permit at that time. So they start in, and they told me later it was funny because there'd be one layer where the roof used to be a garden. You know, there was dirt, and there was one layer where it was there was some sort of." Uh, rustic tile, some was roll roofing some, you know, then there was something else, you know so it was like, it really was archaeology of just layer after layer, but at one point they struck Italian tile in a very formal geometric pattern with diamond shapes so there would be like a red quarry tile with black diamonds in the corners, and this is almost like a European, it's a very formal, sort of a European kind of a floor so uh, there was roll roofing on top of that with the black, you know, mastic Glue, and uh, and God bless the demolition people. Jack and I both often said, you know, uh, initially it was the demo people that cared enough. There was a project manager there. He stopped everything, stopped everything, because usually demo people are there to yeah. demo things. That, that's their job, you know, get it done and throw it down the chute. Three thirty, we're home. done. That's it. We don't care, you know, we don't care. And this is how a lot of things are destroyed. It's, it's the way a lot of things are destroyed, right? Matter of fact, a lot of things are destroyed we don't know about. Because the demo people just want to finish their job, they don't want to be stopped, they don't want to be bothered, they don't want trouble. Well, the project manager, my understanding, uh, was there, stopped him and said, Hold on, guys, let's try to be a little bit careful now, get some different tools and try to go across. You know, let's not disturb this floor, let's just like scrape somehow, you know, chisel and scrape this, 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 this roll roofing away. And, uh, and sure enough they were there was kind of a separation point they were able to do that and there's more and more and more of this tile but when they struck the middle of the roof of the building this is open air we're right. now we're just this is just open air now right 12 stories up yeah 11 or 12 right 11 or 12 stories right exactly <clears throat> and uh, so when they reached the middle of the uh, the roof all of a sudden the tile became much more uh, colorful beautiful you know blues and reds and yellows and all sorts of things and beautiful you know, patterns and they got through two, two rows of that at least and all of a sudden here's this mural in the middle of the border tile is a mural of a camel uh, sitting on the ground with a beautiful, uh, very colorful saddle, you know, with the yep. red and yeah. blue and orange and yellow, and the ta- tassels hanging down from his harness, you know, the whole the works, right? Right. And here, are the or great TTE
2: Lawrence yes, crossing exactly. the
4: desert in, into Aqaba. <clears throat> yeah, exactly, exactly. And behind him are the three, the great pyramids. So they stopped. They cleared away everything else, but they left that layer of floor which covered the entire building, and they started to remember. The roof of the Campbell Building was originally the Starlight Ballroom. And if you imagine today, if you looked out to the bay, even for the Campbell Building today, if a few other buildings were not there, there would have been a straight view. Right. A beautiful, beautiful view, especially like on a moonlit night or something, you know, of Long Beach, of the harbor. You know, Long Beach. <clears throat> so it was the Starlight uh, 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 Ballroom. So they figured what we were looking at is the floor of the ball of the dance floor. Yeah. Because what you had was half, half of the roof was uh, open to the air, and then half of it was uh, what is now a penthouse was closed in. So possibly the enclosed portion was like maybe the restaurant portion. And then you would go outside where all of a sudden you're on the 11th floor, wide open, overlooking the harbor. And this is where you could, you know, dance and have an orchestra and the whole thing. And this beautiful mural was in the middle. So we're looking it over. And the border tiles definitely look like DNM, which is Davies and McDonald, uh, a Los Angeles company that survived up until 39, actually 39. They were in business a long time. Uh, But under a rock, it was hard to see with all the black mastic, under a rock on the lower hand side it said C, the letter C, Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. Actually, we couldn't make it out initially, but we just, you know, we we knew it was signed. It's unusual to find a sign. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyhow, one thing led to another. It Torres was the last muralist, is the chief muralist of, of DNM, and was actually still working for them in '39 when they ultimately uh, went out of business. But he pretty much did all the mural. The, the other ladies would do the regular sure. decorating, but Sergio Torres was the man who did the uh, murals of all sizes, you know. And this was obviously very large, it's the biggest DNM mural that I think anybody knows of. And also interesting is the fact that it's the only thing, we, quote unquote, we know of that he ever signed. We know who he was, but most things weren't important enough. You know, they were just, you know, he was just producing like any worker. He's just producing his craft every single day. But this mural he considered important enough to, you know, to sign. It's the only thing he ever signed. So there it is. <clears throat> so um, this progressed into, well, what are you going to do, you know, with the building? So Jack Mendel, uh, Jack Nandel, I think I think his title is president of the historical committee of that, of the, of the complex, of the Lafayette uh, complex, was involved almost immediately, of course. And, of course, the issue is, you know, preservation is a great thing, but somebody has to pay for it. So we had to figure out, you know, how do we, do they want to save it? How do you save it? Who's going to pay for it? Uh, there was a very brief period of time I might have been able to, I would have purchased it, myself rather than let it be destroyed. Um, but that period of time didn't, didn't, you know, last very long. And uh, But it couldn't stay where it was. Right. Because the penthouse now belongs, it's, it's privately owned. Right. So why why invest this money when it's, you know, uh, other people aren't going to be able to come up and see it. In a sense, it belonged to the building, but it didn't really belong to the other. It wasn't like something in the lobby, you know. Right. It's up in the penthouse. So um, anyway, so Jack, Jack raised the money within the complex. To pay a friend of mine and I to go up there it took us a week, and we extracted the mural with, of course, the if you can imagine the roof. I mean, the mortar, yeah. the mortar bed that thing was on was just was unbelievable, you know. So we got it out in, a, in about a week, and um, and they really they had enough money for that. God bless them, they because because at the moment that's what we had to do. Right, that was the initial thing. Right. Just get it get out, out, get it protected, and then let them put the new roof on because they had a leak. They had the major leak up there, you know. So that's what we did. We started in one of the vacant uh, rooms. We piled all the, the, the floor slabs up, you know, in one of the vacant rooms. And then Jack had to stop everything because there was no more money. Uh, there was enough money for that, but there was no money to clean it. Or you, you, you have to build a frame. You have to get it mounted. A lot more money had to be spent. A lot more money, you know. But now it's safe. Now it was safe. We could take some time. And I don't remember how long it was, but Jack worked very uh, hard and, and uh, as I was saying earlier, Jack really, I mean I did a lot of the physical work and my friend did a lot of the physical labor, but it was really Jack who pulled everything yeah. together in terms of keeping people together and communicating and keeping this going and keeping these people interested and, 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 and seeing that people cared, you know, because this is not, you know, <laughs> people don't care they just don't care to take this money in this time. So Jack tried fundraisers he tried various things and finally he made an application to the Long Beach um, Naval, Naval Grant yeah. to the Naval Grant
2: Be- because when the Navy left Long Beach yes they established this trust right. for people to apply for things right. to do in the community they were helpful to yeah, the community yeah yeah
4: yeah so uh, and this is exactly what it's for: is to help with like cultural things, culturally beneficial to the city, artwork, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's a wonderful grant that is there for you know for people who uh, uh, can qualify. So that's what he did. <clears throat> so by doing that, he raised enough money for us to clean the tile, repair the tile. Some tiles were damaged, you know, after all those after all those years. Then a wrought iron frame had to be created, and then somebody had to it had to be mounted on the wall. So all these phases, you know, all these phases. Are, were going over quite a few years so eventually we chose a place um, thank god we were kind of lucky this was a, i think this was a really really good choice nobody wanted to change the facade of the campbell and for god's sake you wouldn't change the, the lafayette it's just so perfect you know the way it is so luckily there's a little annex almost yeah. like a big hallway where the Campbell and the Lafayette are joined together. The lobbies are joined uh, together. And so it was there in, I think, the 60s or 70s, totally plain. And guess what? Above the double doors you go in is this big open space, just this big open space. So we've got this great nondescript area, and yet it's adjoining both buildings, wide open, and it was absolutely perfect, second floor level for the mural and they liked that also because they didn't want graffiti. They didn't really want it on the first floor in the case of any kind of uh, graffiti. So, uh, So through all these steps and all these things that I mean I was involved in A lot of them, either directly or indirectly, but Jack, you know, kept it going and found the money and kept things going. And so it was mounted on the second floor and it was uh, put up there. So there it is today on Linden Linden Avenue. So anybody can drive down that street and and see it. But that's the story of where it started and how it survived and was put where it was. And just a little bit of an aside, because I'm not sure if everybody got a a joke out of what I did or not. We had to appear before the Cultural uh, Historical Commission. Of the city, right? And Louise Ivers, I didn't know Louise, but Louise, of course, was oh, on the doctor. Ivers. Do- yes. oh, doctor, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, excuse me, pardon me, doctor. <coughs> Louise Ivers, PhD. So uh, Jack and I go there, you know, one night, and somebody, I don't remember if it was on the board or some third party, had, had lodged a complaint against mounting the camel over that little annex. Well, we thought it, this, it couldn't be more perfect because the annex had nothing to do with either building. Nobody was touching, you know, the, you know, the two buildings. So we, we were felt uh, we felt very good and very kind of, you know, for the beginning. Somebody was complaining that it was I can't remember what the problem was. It was it was distracting, or it was inappropriate, or it wasn't there originally, and it shouldn't be there. So somebody literally had made a formal motion that the camel be put down the alley, halfway down the alley of the Campbell building on the south. South Side now, let me tell you, if we had done that after all this work and you 're talking about a mural that i don 't know if the word is priceless, but I mean this is a custom mural this is a one of a kind never it's produced D-N-M. DNM, you know dm you, know, you know mural once it was down halfway down that alley, frankly, nobody would ever see it again. And once in the alley, you would have had to walk down the alley and then look up, you know, like this, (laughs) and break your neck, and so nobody would ever have any true perspective of the mural again. And so, (laughs) and so Jack told me about this the day before we went to the meeting, and he said most of the committee is, you know, is is uh, in favor of putting it uh, on Linden, but he said somebody has made some complaint. So he said that's one of the things we have to respond to today. So I rushed to my computer. And I did, a, I did a, my own protest against the alley, you know, asking that the, that the camel go out there. And I did it in color. And I had, so on the front sheet, on the very front sheet, I did a blow up of, of the face of the camel. And above the camel, in great big black letters, I wrote, Please do not bury me once again down the alley <laughs> of the Campbell Building." I want to sit, I want to overlook Linden Avenue and see the sun in the sky of Long Beach and enjoy my new home. So, and then I did, then I did a, for, inside I did a formal paragraph by paragraph and point. Because somebody, Jack sent me a copy of the complaint sure. and I responded to every aspect of the complaint. But the cover was the face of the camel in color and, and the camel's very funny. He, he's missing a tooth.
2: Oh yeah.
4: You can't see it from down below now. Is, I thought that was so cute. Yeah, you know, one tooth is missing. He's got a broken tooth, and I, we didn't know until we cleaned that specific tile because there was the black, the black everywhere, everywhere, cedar was on, you know. and I thought that was so charming. I thought it was so charming that he's got this one tooth missing. You know, so he was so funny on the on the the, the face of this this thing I put together, this little binder I, I put together. You know, and I made enough copies for everybody. But then my little thing about don't bury me again down the alley. You know, and. They didn't know me, you know. So every, they, they handed out Jack it and he said, "There are copies of something there for you from Mr. Kaiser." So they had. <laughs> I wish I had a picture of the looks on their faces because they're very serious, you know. This very serious people, and and uh, I wanted them to smile or laugh or whatever, and and see the camel's face, and then sort of take that, you know, into consideration. And I'm not sure if they, well, I mean, you know, they they were being professional, so. Nobody laughed. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. But whatever the case, whatever the case, the vote was unanimous to put him on Lyndon. Okay. So there was no there was no problem. I was concerned for a while, but there was no there was no problem, at any rate. But I think the camel's face uh, with a broken tooth <coughs> helped us get through. Helped us get through that. So so there it is today. You know there it is today. And uh, so what an art, a story of urban urban archaeology, as I say. And if you stop to think about that, how many other buildings yeah. in Long Beach or downtown L.A. or God knows where. The,
2: well, the, I can think of the Oviat, for one. The
4: Oviat, yeah, that was, you know, sure, because the floor, the original floor is actually underneath the uh, the, the, the roofing that is there now, at <coughs> any rate, so uh, because at one time, and I'll just do this in, in in passing, which you're already aware of, but the roofs of these, well, skyscrapers, 11, 12, 13, you know, <laughs> stories high. But I've learned the last few years, the the roofs of these uh, buildings, these great buildings, were used for very, very interesting and very productive and very important things. There was uh, Gladys McBean, the building is gone, Gladys McBean had a showroom on the roof of one of the buildings and the exterior portion they used for the garden they created garden fountains and then they brought potted plants and things like that so that their garden section was you were indoors on part of the uh, the roof and then you walk outdoors on you're on the roof of this this building and here you are in the garden section of Gladwin McBean and then the Starlight Ballroom was down here you know in you know in, in, in Long Beach where so, was where was the Gladding McBean I don't ima- I don't remember the building it's gone cuz I called you when I discovered that and you said the building was gone and oh, okay. I, don't, I don't i'm sorry i don't remember the building oh, okay. i'll look in my email. yeah don't remember the building but it's just that a lot of rooftops were used for very interesting purposes at that time and who knows what's been and you already mentioned the oviat which is a magnificent the oviat is a spanish village yeah. for god's sake you know to, to have barbecues and festivities and you know parties and all, all sorts of things so uh uh, it could be amazing what is still buried or covered up in some of these buildings that we may yet we may yet uncover.
2: So we have we have we have empathic homeowners associations to thank, and I hope that they're out there in downtown Los Angeles and Long Beach still. Mm-hmm. So Brian, I want to I want to thank you. That was a fantastic mm-hmm. narrative.
4: Thank you very much. Well, I'm glad I was involved with it because it was one of the most exciting. Uh, it, sort of interesting jobs, and plus, just briefly, we did, uh, the, the mural did receive a preservation award from Long Beach uh, uh, Cultural Heritage, and of course, the award goes to the, to the building, so Jack and I went together, Jack accepted the, the award, and I didn't get one, but <laughs> I don't take that personally in any way whatsoever, but, uh, but you know, and ultimately, it really did go to Jack, it goes to that, I mean, he deserves it, because he really held everything together, but it goes to the building. The award goes to the building, you know. So I did win an award, and that was it was nice. It was nice to get that to be recognized, you know. Uh, so that was yeah, it was a great experience. It was a very very interesting experience. I was almost killed. <laughs> how, how were you almost? Killed? Oh my God! Oh, I don't think I can tell that. Okay. I don't think I can tell. <laughs> that. It would incriminate the the murderer. So yeah, he wouldn't. Yeah, he wouldn't appreciate that. But well, let's just say I almost died. Doing that job and that is not a that's not a joke because we're on the eleventh we're on the roof on the eleventh floor it was not very safe. The
2: close safe. the closer you get to the to tile, tile
4: yeah. Trust me, the crazier you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So will you will you leave us with that maxim? Oh yeah, in, in full. Oh in full. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, through my through my life in tile, I have discovered that the closer you get to antique tile, the crazier you get. Except for me, of course. I am immune. <laughs> that entirely it doesn't affect me so I'm okay all right is that right Richard tell me tell me Richard tell I'm okay right I'm okay thank you Brian so if I'm okay are you okay we're
1: okay all right
0: my name is Emma Roberts I'm in the rare books room at Central Library and
1: you're listening to you can't eat the sunshine
2: and we're done I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our podcast for March 2nd, 2015. You Can't Eat the Sunshine is the name of this podcast, and I truly believe that. Kim, our guests probably want to send us an email and tell us that we should um, give up the fruits of our labors more and just, give it, it just sort of g- give, give it up and, and just keep on keeping on. And if they want to do that, how do they do that?
0: Well, if you mean our listeners as opposed to our guests, I, I, Brian, oh. Brian, and Jack may want yeah, to tell okay. you that. But, our uh, listeners, our listeners, yeah, they'll probably be sending emails saying, "Calm down, you guys. It's okay. There will still be historic buildings in Los Angeles, even if they knock down four hundred of them a day." Well, I don't know if I can survive that. But yes, you can contact us and we're always happy to hear from our listeners. You can send an email to you candy the sunshine at gmail dot com or through the contact link at www.esoturic.com. dot com. of course is our tour company and we're out most Saturdays on the bus and we'd love to have you, oh podcast listener, join us on the bus. It is what we do, after all. And, um, if we see you on a bus tour and you let us know you're a podcast listener, we will be happy to hear it. You could also it's, join it's us. It's
2: actually, it's, it's, it's actually, actually like one of the, it's one of the great pleasures. It's like every month I like, I like, I have a, I have a tally sheet
1: when, yeah. when
2: you get on the bus and start talking and I see, it's usually a woman. It's usually a woman. I see a woman about five seats back from you, smile and say, I know that voice. <laughs>
0: Yeah. You can also see us, of course, at the Lava events that we organize, like the Forensic Science Seminars at Cal State LA, and of course, the Lava Sunday Salon. So, don't be a stranger. Oh, podcast listener, let us hear from you. And if you're inclined to rate the show, wherever it is you're picking it up, iTunes or Spreaker or what have you, um, why, it's even on our YouTube channel now, please do so. We're always appreciative of ratings and uh, you passing the link around to your friends who might dig it, too.
2: Good. Okay, Kim. Here's the sheet. Uh, yeah, this is, this is, this is, we're in the home stretch. This is the exit to the podcast. You are going to quickly bring us up to speed on some upcoming tours. Mm-hmm. Weird West Adams is um, mm-hmm. the next one coming up. Mm-hmm. And um, we have, we have, we're going to have, uh, I think we're going to have some really good special new pictures on that one. Mm
0: hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, of course, we're heading into a season of crime bus tours, and that's my baby babies. So these are all tours that I wrote, and Richard helped me develop into something that doesn't take 17 hours to get through and that actually hasn't a narrative arc. He, he learned that in cinema school before they threw him out. And the first no, of these. No, I, I, I,
2: I, I. No, people. No. I didn't know. I was thrown of film school like three months into my in film school when I was seventeen, and I did not learn that in the cinema school. I actually learned how to write a screenplay. It was taking taking a second, thank you, Brian Burke, old crossroads person. So I was at the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, Nathan and I had um, been involved in making this film for Scott King called Treasure Island, <laughs> and it won some award. Nick Offerman is in it. Don't it was make very people good.
0: look at this movie.
2: Your 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 first husband is in it, um, who hated me, and I was actually I was actually directed not to talk to your he was your former husband at the time I was actually directed not to talk to him anyway. So like we get to Sundance, and of course nothing happens, which I knew, but you have to go because of course you know the police have just raided my grandfather's store, and there's nothing else to do but go to Los Angeles and work on a film. And you're walking to the bus station, and you run into an old friend of yours from high school, who happens to be an up and coming producer, and they say, "What are you doing here?" And you say. I'm looking for my next step, and they say, "Good, let's come see me next week." You're in you're in L. A. Yes, come see me, and then you 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 go visit them, and you actually learn how to write a screenplay, which is really good, because That's because your
0: pickpocketing project.
2: That I was working on it right, because, of course, my grandfather's pimps were really good pickpockets, and I decided that I the wanted. to... I, it is it is a lot. So the point of all of this is not about writing screenplays, which is a complete waste of time. <laughs> the, the The point is is that I wake up today, and I have six million things to do, and I have about two and a half hours every day to work on my writing projects, which at the moment is to finish the tour book, which is totally understandable. But for about nine months after we quit the Los Angeles Athletic Club, I actually worked, wait, six months maybe, I worked very hard, getting up to speed on my novel and literally with those two and a half, three hours I have every morning before just the world comes crashing through the doors. I thank God every day for Brian Burke and that time I spent learning about narrative structure because you really can't write a modern novel without it. Like look at ask the dust and dreams from bunker Hill. Yeah. You, you just, you just can't. And so just really, so learning narrative structure is really important for writing Dashiell Hammett did the same thing. Every all the great writers, sh- all the great writers went to Hollywood to learn how to write a screenplay because they knew intrinsically it would help their, their, their novel writing. And so,
0: I want to thank you for taking so long that I can just <laughs> burn through these upcoming crime bus tours, which you have structured. And there, there, there is a method to our madness, and all of these are four hour tours that you listener will love. March the 7th, it's Weird West Adams. That's a neighborhood. It's below the 10. It's just to the west of downtown. There's some beautiful old mansions there. Terrible things happened in West Adams. And we'll walk through Rosedale Cemetery. So that's March 7th. Um, Pasadena Confidential with Crymo the Clown is Saturday, March 21st. That's a tour about rocket science, black magic, suicide, rose queens, presidential assassins, and independent film. That one's fun. I have a brand new tour. It's called Hollywood, with an exclamation point, and it debuts Saturday, March 28th. Um, I am a native of Hollywood. I had a lot of weird adventures in Hollywood as a child. It really shaped me. And um, this is a tour of my Hollywood. These are the places that set my little antenna a-jingling. And in addition to going to just some of the most beautiful historic sites in the city, and getting in-depth and personal with them, and talking about just some really weird stuff that was part of my background growing up, some some pretty wild and juicy stories about Sunset Strip life in in the old days. We're also going to have some crimes, some crimes that will chill your blood and freak you out. I found some really good ones you've never heard about before. You think you know about Hollywood murder? Forget it, baby. Get on this Uh, bus. Well, you probably don't know these cases, no. but I do, and I love them, and I'm I'm here to tell you, if you like beautiful buildings and weird crime, Hollywood's the tour for you. Okay, April the 7th, 7, 7, no, the 11th. April the 11th. April There's 11. no 7 in that. Uh, Hotel Horrors and Main Street Vice, it's a downtown double feature. Well, we call it that, but it's it's really back-to-back. <laughs> you know, when it's we launched that tour, cool. when we launched that tour, it was... I don't t- even start. Don't even
2: start. Okay. It's a single tour. It's a
0: single tour. It's beautiful hotels and crime scenes and b-girls and prostitutes and serial killers and freak shows and geeks and... Oh. Downtown used to be so interesting. All the buildings remain, but the weirdos are gone. But we try to bring them back on this tour on April the 11th, with no 7 in it. Um, April the 18th, also with no 7th in it, and uh, getting close to filling up already. A very popular tour, The Real Black Dahlia. In fact, our most popular crime bus tour. The tour that asks not, who killed Beth Short? Well, we talk about that a bit, But but who was she and why should I care about this... 22-year-old drifter from Massachusetts who ended up cut in half in a vacant lot in the Limerick Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. And it really is a fascinating tale of a lost girl and her friends and a very, very interesting investigation in the era when the LAPD could not do their job without the assistance of reporters, which is some pretty weird stuff. Very very unexpected until you hear about it, and then it makes perfect sense. Um... (laughs) Those were interesting times. April the 25th is another newish tour. We've only given it once before. It's called Echo Park Book of the Dead. It is also a crime bus tour. And along the lines of the Hollywood tour, it's a mixture of beautiful buildings and really strange stories.
2: But well, a, when, when, when the, the, one of the last right, 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 right. One, one of the last ones is that like, is we're going to have to get on the Arroyo Seco Parkway yeah. to do one of the last crimes. Yeah, 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 the helicopter.
0: Not not a crime, an accident, okay. but a truly twisted story. We'll definitely. Well, there's a
2: there's a crime associated, associated with it. You know? Yeah,
0: it's going to change the way that you think about that part of the world. When that's our job, right? That ends the crime bus series and on May the second it's Charles Bukowski's Haunts of a Dirty Old Man, a tour about the poet and writer and a friend of Joan Job Smith, who made himself up from postal worker and a contributor to some underground magazines into a world renowned poet, novelist, and icon of the counterculture. It's a really interesting story of an abused child in West Adams.
2: Yeah, West who, Adams. Who who,
0: who who really pushed himself through the fire. Always driven by a love of language and a desire to tell true stories of the low life, and to um, really practice compassion. It's, it's a lovely tour that you wrote, Richard. It's one of my favorites of your tours, and it it also brings you out
2: like, you, you, you like all my tours, Kim. I but do. this this tour is different in that it is really just about poetry, which yeah. is which is amazing that we can actually give a bus tour four times a year about the nature of of, of poetry in the 20, late twentieth century.
0: And what I like so much about this tour is the people that it brings out, because contrary to your experience, if you hang out on the Internet and talk about Charles Bukowski with fans, uh, Bukowski fans, when they're all together in the same place, are actually not assholes. They're, they're some of the loveliest people you could meet. And that was, that was a nice surprise, having run into some of the Charles Bukowski assholes on the Internet. Uh, let us move on. Also in a literary vein, May the 9th, it's Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles, a tour of downtown and Hollywood in the footsteps of the great Raymond Chandler. And on May the 16th, our once-a-year bus adventure with my colleague... In uh, rock and roll writing, David Smay, who comes down from San Francisco to host Tom Waits, Los Angeles, Crawling Down Kawanga, And this tour is a tour of Hollywood and downtown locations that, and Echo Park that figure prominently in the life and work of the singer-songwriter Tom Waits. And uh, we should get some more tours on the calendar, Richard, but that's a really good season.
2: We, um, we, have, we have tours listed through May, and yes, I do have to get June... In July, up. That was on my list this week, and it'll happen next week. Okay, that's okay. fine with it's, me. It's 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 okay, Kim. Yeah, it's okay. It, it it it's fine. It's thank you, Kim. So so Kim, thank you, thank you as always for bringing us home. I I, I really I don't know what I would do without you, darling, hmm. light of my life. Um, I want to thank you, Kim. I want to th- for 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 making this possible. I want to thank everyone listening. I want to ask you to continue to listen, and I want to remind you...
0: You can't eat the sunshine.
1: You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long-lost neighborhood. Called Hermina a between South Pass and Highland. I can't eat the sunshine, but it's a gold mine